Right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children in prams, <laughs> mums and dads. We have, a, we have a guest speaker with us today. His name is Doug Cruz, and he's the fundraising manager for London City Mission. So I'm just going to ask Doug a, a few questions. Um, Pastor Rob has said that you have a very interesting hist history of involvement in ministry. Can you tell us more about that? Um, it's working. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I, I became a Christian many, many years ago. But um, my background at that time was a Roman Catholic. And um, when I was training to be a priest in North London, um, the more I studied the Bible... I realized I'm not really following the Bible, you know, and uh, that really puzzled me. And um, someone met me on the underground, and they uh, invited me to a Bible study group, which I went along. I thought, well, you know, I should be really good at this because I'm trained to be a priest. But I found out I was terrible uh, because all the things that they taught me at the seminary was, you know, uh, missiology, psychology, a lot of logies, you know, not much of the Bible, not the scriptures. And uh, I became a Christian, but God still put it on my heart to be working as a, as a Christian missionary. So um, later that year, I actually went out to Asia. Uh, my friends who I was working with, they were leading a team of people. So I went out, uh, this is in the 80s, and um, I, I've been I was working for about 20 years, traveling around different countries in Asia, Southeast Asia specifically, uh, all over India, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, uh, different places uh, in, those, in that region, basically planting churches, um, yeah, and working as a Christian missionary until, because of various circumstances, the Lord brought me back to beautiful London where I've been um, you know, working with different Christian charities uh, as a fundraising manager uh, in different parts of of London, and right now I'm actually working as a as a fundraising manager at uh, London City Mission. Cool. So, what would you say was the most rewarding part of your job? Of the job where that I'm you're currently right? doing, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the fact that because of the work that I'm doing, that I'm, I can actually help to plant many more missionaries, who can then go on to do more work. So the fact that it's not just myself, I can actually help to replicate myself in missionaries, you know, who's actually at London City Mission uh, doing incredible work. So I think I'm, I'm really excited about that. It's not just me being on, you know, being, doing mission work, mission work or uh, now I'm actually kind of multiplying myself. And I really think being a fundraiser, you know, can actually have a great impact in that way. Cool. So what, would, what advice would you give to someone that would like to get into full-time ministry? Um, I, I have served, in a, uh, actually, actually as a church leader uh, for many years. Um, in fact, the, 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 uh, the group of us who went, there were 14 of us. Uh, that mission work, the group of churches, uh, has actually grown um, to be more than 7,000. Um, the church itself grew from 14 to more than 1,200. I go back and visit very often. My advice is of people who want to work as missionaries, 
I mean, I go back, I travel quite often and visit many of these churches. Uh, my advice, which I'm going to be speaking a lot about in today's message, is about let God lead you. Okay, let God lead you. He knows what's good for you. He knows your strengths better than you. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm really good at that. But he may be guiding you in ways you don't yet understand. My actual background, okay, I trained to be a computer programmer. Now think about that. Okay, I used to do a lot of coding and all kinds of stuff. But from that, I realized as I became a Christian, I said, God wants me to work with people, not so much with computers. That, that's what I, that was my passion. But I, I actually use a lot of that in my work at London City Mission. I'm actually, I do a lot of digital fundraising. And I, people are like, how do you know all these things, you know? Because of my background. So let God guide you, and you will be immensely, immensely fruitful. And I'll talk a lot about that through, the, through my message. Cool. Thank you for that. Um, is there anything you'd like us to pray for you about? Um, please pray for my family. Okay, um, I mean, I, I have an absolutely wonderful family. But, you know, as you, many of you know, bringing up children, I have two sons. Um, one is 20 years old, another is 23 years old. Okay, they're, they're pretty, pretty big. One's just at uni, uh, doing a second year, and the other's finished uni. And, uh, you know, he's, he studied music, now he's actually uh, working. Um, but they're both doing great. I just want God to really bless them uh, in, you know, in the ministry and the things that they do. Um, yeah, just please pray for my family because that in itself, believe it or not, I think is one of the greatest mission uh, for us uh, you know, on this earth. It's not just all oh, missioners out there. It starts with around here. We always think, oh, mission, yeah, it's that country. No, no, it starts from around here. Okay. So please pray for me. So I'm just going to quickly pray for Doug as we let him um, do his stuff. Okay, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Lord, thank you for um, Doug agreeing to come and minister to us today, Lord. And Lord, I just lift him up before you, Lord, and pray that you would um, speak for him today, Lord, that our eyes and our hearts would be open to the message, Lord, that, Lord, that you would bless him and his family, Father God, that you would... Um, Start to pour into his sons, Father God. Um, pour into their spirits, Father God. Lead them and direct them and that you would continue to direct Doug and his whole family, Lord, as you lead London City Mission, Father God. So, Lord, we just give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much uh, for inviting me to be able to speak at the church this, uh, this morning. I, I feel it such a privilege. And uh, Pastor, uh, you know, Rob... He, he, we, we talk a lot whenever he comes into the office, but he tells me that you guys are really, really good in the scriptures. And as Mike or Mikey, you know, uh, he said, you know, we, we're all about the Bible, right? So he said, Bible, so, you know, Rob was telling me you guys are really good at, in the Bible, so I'm going to get a couple of Bible trivia, okay? Are you ready? So I'm going to ask some questions. And I hope you have the answers. You ready? Okay. The first, first question. Who was the shortest person in the Bible? Close? No. 
No. No, sorry guys. It was Bildad the Shuite. The Shuite? Shuite? No, don't worry. Oh, yeah. Some of you got it now, yeah. <laughs> okay, next one. Okay, you're getting, you're, getting, you're getting the flow of this now. The next one. Okay, where is the first mention of tennis in the scriptures? Tennis. Believe it or not, yeah, tennis. Any hands? In the Bible, it says Moses served in Pharaoh's court. He did. Okay, the next one. Where is the first mention of a motorbike? Okay, motorbike. Close, you're close. Close, that was very close. Good one, though. Moses came down the mountain in his triumph. Oh, you guys, uh, you're going to be throwing things at me soon. I know, I know. Now, this one, please, ladies, you have to plug your ears. If you want to listen, you can. Okay, but you have to plug your ears. Don't stone me afterwards, okay? Uh, where in the scriptures does it say there are no women in the Bible, in heaven? Where in the Bible does it say there are no women in heaven? I'm in trouble, aren't I? I can see it already. Well, it says in Revelation, check this out. I'm not joking. Revelations 8.1, read it for yourself. It says... There was silence in the heavens for half an hour. <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. I had to throw that in there. Trust me, some of the men talk a lot too. But anyway, it does say that. It was, there was silence in the heavens for, 30, for half an hour. Read it, you know, Revelations 8.1. Anyway, coming down to earth. Um, I'm a Londoner. I've lived in Stretton, in Hounslow, in Barnet. I consider myself a true South Londoner because most of my life I grew up in sunny Croydon, believe it or not. From the age of six, I grew up in sunny Croydon, right next to what was called Mayday Hospital. Some people call it May Die Hospital. We won't go into that right now. Yes, they do. Unfortunately, my, yeah, my older brother contracted, um, you know, got cancer and died there. But anyway, I'm a South Londoner. But whenever someone says I'm from London, I kind of squirm, to be honest. Because we know in London there are 31 boroughs with clusters of towns that are so different from all the others, right? Every, you know, you think of... London is so varied from one part to the other. I mean, Croydon is so different to Camden, right? I mean, Brixton is different to Bromley. Lewisham is so different to parts of Lambeth, if you think about it. And yet, we, we say, oh, I'm from London. But London is such a diverse community. 
with so much of varied needs. And I believe Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All the nooks and cronies of, uh, of London. Jesus, of every high-rise building, estate, area, all the alleyways. Jesus is King. He's Lord. Well, some of you may turn around to me and say, um, are you serious? You should see my neighborhood. You need to go to Specsavers. That's probably your attitude when I say that. Because have you seen the news lately? The reports of knife crimes and gangs and you know, the sad things we, you know, that was announced at church this morning of the people suffering below the poverty line. And yet we say Jesus is king of kings. Wait a second, something doesn't seem to be right. It's a bit rough out there. How can you believe that? And my question to you as a church, the ecclesia in Lewisham, is do you believe that Jesus is truly king of kings of Lewisham? Do you really believe that? You know, some people say Christianity is dead. Don't believe the mainstream media. Don't do it. You know, Satan wants you to believe that. BBC wants you to believe that. And an old preacher once said, in one hand, I have the Bible, and in the other hand, I have a newspaper. For many of us, it's like this, isn't it? Bible in one hand, our mobile phones, because we get so much of our news, which is kind of in a very, uh, very down and very negative, and that's, that's the kind of news we get, and we get discouraged. Don't let Satan put you down, because something glorious is happening out there. Seriously. There are more Christians alive today, right now, than all of history put together. Did you know that? See, think about that. All of history put together are more Christians alive on earth. God is doing incredible things. BBC may not, might not be talking about it. But if you think of that, they go, ooh, okay. God is silently working in the background, as he always does. And he is king of kings and lord of lords. Spake savers is not the answer. The, Bi the Bible is. You want to see the truth. Turn to the Bible. Let's go to our scriptures this morning. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to 24. Philippians 2, 19 to 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, I hope, 
therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. The title of my message this morning is A Model Spiritual Servant. A Model Spiritual Servant. You know, Paul is in prison, right? He is in prison. And yet one of the biggest topics in the letter to the church in Philippi, what is he, talking, what is he writing about? Joy. The book of Philippians, one of the biggest, biggest topics is joy. And yet, wait a second, where is Paul? Not like a modern prison. This is an old Roman prison. No comforts, no TV, no telephone, okay? You'll be lucky if you got fed. You want to go to the toilet? Yep, in the corner. And yet, what's he doing? The Bible says, he is singing hymns. He's joyful. Wait a second. You're in prison and you're... doesn't make sense. From what I said. Okay, the kingdom of God is actually upside down if you think about it. Okay, we might see a lot of bad things and yet God, if you look through God's lenses, okay? Oops. If you look through God's lens, you'll see something very, very different. So Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And, uh, you know, in Philippians, you know, he, he's actually mentioning a couple of things. But as, as Paul is in prison, there were many people who were actually joy killers. Not joy givers, but joy killers. Sometimes the greatest joy killer is not from outside. It's actually from within. It's actually sometimes... The people you think are Christians even, okay, they may be putting you down. I mean, there were Christians who were coming and visiting him who were actually accusing him. There were people creating problems for, uh, you know, Christians creating problems for Paul. But Paul focused on the joy givers in life. The right kind of people that can add joy to your life. Ask yourself, who are they? Why? Because they ease our problems. Do you have people like that? And that's, that's what Paul is mentioning here about Timothy. He is my, he's my joy. So I'm going to send him to you. You know, when people remember... When you remember someone, you know, who do you mostly think of? The ones who give you problems or the ones who give you joy? Think about it. Who do you think of? Hopefully it's the ones, I'm sure most of us think, oh, that person, they, that pastor, that friend of mine, when I was down, they pulled me up. They gave me joy. They picked me up. They're the ones who made the difference. And that's the kind of person he's talking about in Timothy. But you know, Paul had many people like that in his life. He had Silas. He had Luke. 
He had Priscilla and Aquila. You might have heard these names. Here in the book of Philippines, he mentions two people. One is Epaphroditus, a bit of a tongue twister, but the other is Timothy. Timothy added a special dimension to his life of joy. And we'll learn a little bit more about that. You know, Paul is writing to the Philippians about servant-heartedness here, about the, the servant that Timothy is. He could have easily said, as he's writing to the church in Philippi, he could have said, you know, I want you to, to, to think about, I want you to, you know, remember Jesus. Or I want you to think about the super apostles, Peter or, or James. But no. He actually talks about one of the lowliest Christians here. A young guy, Timothy. Because you see, if, if, if uh, Paul said, you know, that guy, Peter, gives me much joy, people would have said, oh, I can never be like him. Jesus, well, I can never be like Jesus. He says, listen, Timothy, a lowly person, a young person. So what's the difference? What we consider to be ordinary, Paul values immensely. And that's what he is writing to the church in Philippi, and that's why he's mentioning Timothy. Bit of background about Timothy. He um, comes from, you know, his mother was a, a Jew turned Christian. His father was Greek. Kind of, you know, kind of things that happen very often in, you know, many of our families. The women, very quickly, you know, you embrace Christianity. Isn't that true? Very often, the churches are filled with. You know, women who become Christians, and the men are kind of, mm, I'm not sure about this. And that was what was happening. And you know, very soon, Timothy also becomes a Christian. But his life starts changing. The first thing we read about Timothy here is that he is faithful. He's faithful to Paul. In verse 19, you know, Paul says, I plan, according to Jesus' plan, to send Timothy to you very soon. You know where Paul is? He is in Rome. And he says, I am going to send you words of encouragement and my representative. And can you imagine Timothy arriving there? A young kid in many ways, a young person. And he arrives in the church in Philippi. But you know, he had to travel about 800 miles to take that message. Timothy was trustworthy. Paul could count on him. He's sending him all that way from Rome to Philippi to take an incredible message that Paul really believed in and to deliver the right message with the right heart, with the right essence. Who does he, who does he choose? A young, young Christian, or a young person who's become a Christian, who's quite mature in a very, very quick time. 
You know, you have to be really trustworthy to manage such errands. I mean, who would you send hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles? I mean, they didn't have, you know, airports and aircrafts in those days. It would have taken weeks, if not months sometimes, to travel to deliver some of those messages. People get discouraged and they run off somewhere else. But he knew, Paul knew, Timothy, he could count on. Are you reliable? Do your friends think that you're reliable? Some of you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I have friends. I have loads of friends, Doug. You don't understand. Look at my Facebook and my Instagram. I have loads of friends. No, no, that, that's not the type of friends I'm talking about. This is a different type of friend. These are faithful friends, not Facebook friends. It's a big difference in that. You know, in, the, in this digital age, it's easy to have friends, isn't it? Just go online, click, 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 and you think you've made a friend. Nah. All I know is that Mark Zuckerberg is laughing all the way to the bank. That if you think you're making friends, it's not that easy. True, true friendships, they have to be cultivated. Not overnight, not with a click of, of a button, but over lifetime. It takes effort. You know, I, I, I got a, recently I got a message um, from a friend I hadn't heard of for many years. At the beginning of this, um, of this message, I mentioned that I'd been on missionary journey. I'd, you know, I'd lost touch with someone that I reached out to in 1987. In a, in a place called Bangalore in South India, when I went there in 1987, some of you are probably looking at me going, what? How old are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm older than I look. I know, you know, <laughs> I, I was a missionary in, in, in the 80s in South India when, when I went out there. And one of the first guys that I met, his name was Pushmanavan. And uh, my, my, my friend who was, who was teaching me, he was mentoring me, he said, Doug, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be a, a faithful friend. Okay, faithful friend to Pushmanavan. Pushmanavan lived more than a, an hour outside the city in the slum areas. I can, let me tell you, I was asking my friend, listen, are you sure? You know, there are loads of people I can work with in our close by in this neighborhood. He said, no, I want you to do that. I want you to spend time with him. I want you to reach out to him. So, you know, I would go to Pushmanavan's um, township. It was a slum area. And when I say slum, I went to his hut where he, he and his father would sleep. The other room, his mother and sister would sleep. And uh, they gave me the bed. When I went there, you know, one of the, one of the evenings, really late, coming back, he said, you sleep here. You know, and they slept on the floor. And uh, I was sleeping on the bed. I thought, oh, man, I'm, I feel so blessed. And yet this is not comfort zone, you know. It started raining, and rain trickles right through the roof. You can't sleep the whole night. It was challenging. In the morning, I woke up. 
I'm going to be very, very frank about this. In the morning I woke up, you have to realize, I, you know, I've come from London and, you know, God's put it on my heart to be a missionary in this place. I woke up in the morning, you know, I want to go to the toilet. So I'm, I'm going, hey, hey Pushman, where, where's the toilet? And he went to, you know, one of the taps, filled it up with a mug. And he said, see that bush over there? That's the toilet. So where's the toilet paper? Well, you wash yourself afterwards with this mug and water. I was like, wow. Just don't go to the other bush because that's where all the women are. You go to this bush. It was challenging. And I'm going, Lord, what am I doing here? And yet, you know, I, I thought about it and I said, what would you, in Jesus' days, hey, guess what? This is how life would have been. You think about it, we may have all the luxuries now. We have modern, digital, all kinds of equipments. And yet, this is how Jesus would have done ministry. It was challenging. Years later, on Facebook, now I'd lost touch with him. He contacted me and he said, Hey, Doug, thank you so much for reaching out to me. I'm now a pastor of a church in Mumbai pastor of a church you've changed my whole family you've changed my whole family my sister works as a, as a social worker in Holland and she got in touch with me you know I was like wow I didn't know what I was doing right I was complaining to be honest I was like Lord but because you say so I'll do it and you know my heart really had to change and this is what I was talking about earlier when someone asked me what's mission all about what's full-time ministry all about the ministry goes on in here God's working at your heart if you will it you know I'm just so encouraged that guys like him and many others you know became Christians you know I didn't know what I was doing but God works through you if you're willing to be a humble servant I want to play a little clip video clip at this time um, it's about, okay, this is actually, um, this movie really moved me. It's called uh, We Are Soldiers. You can watch it. It's an amazing film. It has a, a lot of uh, spiritual parallels um, within the movie itself. And as I saw it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. The whole movie is quite moving. And it's actually about um, Mel Gibson is the hero, obviously, but he's a, a, oh, hold on a second. He's actually... That's the second one. Play the first one. Yeah, um, the one that says prayer. Um, so Mel Gibson is actually, you know, he's, he's getting together with one of his soldiers, one of his guys, and he's trying to encourage him to be a faithful servant, what I'm, what I'm talking about. Look at the interaction that's going on, the communication that's going on. Yeah, sound as well, please. Thanks. child has just been born. He's about to go into war. He could lose his life. He's, he's thinking, what should I do, Lord? And he's going and praying. <coughs> oh, oh, Colonel. At his age, I heard one of my new lieutenants just became a father. Can you say congratulations? Thank you, sir. So, uh, I didn't want to 
disturbing. Oh, no, no, it's fine. It's all right, please. Well, how's your wife? Oh, she's okay. She's okay. She's sleeping. So is my daughter. I just wanted to be here for a while before I held her. Well, is Tanger already? What's that say? Oh, Camille. Yeah, I'm sorry about no, this, No, don't sir. you take that off. You leave that on where it is. That's an order. Colonel, may I ask you a question? Sure. What do you think about being a soldier and a father? I hope that being good at the one makes me better at the other. Why? What about you? I don't know, sir. Between college and here, Barbara and I spent a year in Africa. We helped build a school for orphans. They were orphans because the warlord across the border didn't like their tribe. I know God has a plan for me. I just hope it's to help protect orphans. Not make any. Why don't we ask him? Come on, let's go ask him. Our Father in heaven, before we go into battle, every soldier among us will approach you each in his own way. Our enemies, too, according to their own understanding, will ask for protection and for victory. And so we bow before your infinite wisdom. We offer our prayers as best we can. I pray you watch over the young men like Jack Gagan that I lead into battle. You use me as your instrument in this awful hell of war to watch over them. Especially if there are men like this one beside me deserving of a future in your blessing and goodwill. Amen. Brilliant, isn't that? I love that clip because he is struggling, right? The young soldier is struggling. He wants to do great things. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to die. As Christians, sometimes we want to do great things, but we don't want to die to ourselves. Right? And he's asking, you know, I want to do one. What, what do you think about being a soldier and a father? And, you know, can I go and might die, but I don't I want to stay here and live? What was the answer? One makes you better at the other. You know, being a servant of all servants makes you a better Christian. And that's what Paul is saying. Here is Timothy. He is a great servant. As a result, he is a, get, a better Christian. I mean, I would like to come to you, me, the awesome apostle, but I'm going to send you the next best thing. Timothy, my son, my faithful servant. Timothy went from being a son in the faith to a servant in the faith to Paul's substitute in the faith. Where are you? Are you stuck? Ooh, I'm not sure. What should I do? Where should I go? You know, the more faithful and trusting you are, the more you can be counted on. That's why Paul sent him. 
A servant gets to do the greater acts of service and receive greater rewards. In, in Matthew 24, 45 to 47, it says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in the household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. There's one little servant when he's responsible, the more faithful and reliable you are, the more valuable you become to your master. The more we are as servants, as Christians, the more valuable we will be for Jesus. And yet so often, our attitudes are, oh no, not me again. I don't want to do the washing up, Dad. Not me again. I've been doing the chairs for a long time in church. I don't want to keep volunteering. I want to, you know, I want to be up there. Why do I have to, you know, I appreciate it. I came in half an hour early this morning to church, and Paul was out here carrying. He's got, he's got great muscles, you know. He's carrying all these blocks of chairs and putting them out. Half an hour early, getting things prepared. Appreciate, you know, I think it was Naomi. Naomi, it was, you know, open the door for me, getting things ready for the, um, for the kids. The, you know, appreciate the ladies at the front. Awesome job with the singing. And it doesn't happen just on Sunday morning. They have to prepare. They have to plan. They have to practice. There's so much that goes on in the background. Are you a servant? God can use great servants when they are reliable. I know for me, so often I complain, oh, it is challenging. Do you see serving as a blessing or as a curse? You know, the, wor the, the world will tell you the word serving, servant, it is a bad word. But not in the kingdom of God, right? I mean, who was the greatest servant? Jesus. Let's emulate him. He was the greatest servant. The world will tell you, no, never be a servant. You be the CEO. You be the director, and you'll do well. But now, Jesus turns all of that upside down. Paul is saying, he is the greatest servant I have. Timothy, this little, loyal, young person, I'm sending him to you, the whole church, because I can depend on him. How are you when it comes to serving in the church? Someone have to pester you. Someone has to ask you. At home, how are you? You know, I, I have fun. I have two, two boys. And, you know, they're great. But sometimes, you know, I ask them to do the washing up. And they're like, oh, Dad, it's not my turn. Come on. Can you ask? It's not like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do it if you want me to, you know. So we have to teach ourselves again and again. If this is what God wants me to do, hey, let me do it with a great attitude. Amen? That's the attitude we need to have. And, you know, Paul, Timothy did it with a great attitude. Paul could see that. He was a faithful servant, number one. Secondly, he was a great imitator. Verse 20 and 21, it says, I have no one else like him 
who will show you genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I have no one else like him. What he's saying is, literally the word is, he is like sold. He's one sold. He's like, we're like soulmates. That's what he's saying. Timothy and I, we are soulmates. I have no one like him. This is the only place in the Bible that he actually uses that word. Literally, they're like joined together with the same purpose. He says, he has the same purposes that I have. That's what Paul is saying about Timothy. He has the same ambitions that I have. We are soulmates. That's the word he's saying. You know, Paul would have known hundreds and hundreds of Christians in Rome. Trust me, hundreds of them. In uh, the book of Romans, he actually mentions 27 people by name, specifically, right at the end, Romans chapter 16. He says, you know, these are some of my best friends. And he goes through Priscilla and Aquila, so many people. And this person, this house where they're having the meeting, I forget the person's name. He goes through so many, so many people, but there's only one person. He actually says, it's like my soulmate, my protege, Timothy. Timothy was unique as Paul's servant. He imitated. Paul said, I have no one like him. Sadly, everyone else is devoted to their own interests, to their own purposes. And I want to encourage you, find someone whose purpose is Jesus and walk together with them, and you will achieve great things. Seriously, you'll achieve great things. That's what Paul did. You'll be surprised what Paul actually achieved through Timothy, and I'll come back, come on to that towards the end. You will be absolutely surprised who actually wrote many of the New Testament. You'll be surprised. Paul and Timothy were soulmates. They walked together. They worked together. They went to prison together. Okay? Some of you will say, well, you know, yeah, give me a friend like that. I'll be a great Christian. Seriously. I want to ask you to turn that upside down and say, you be that great friend to someone else. You know, instead of asking, oh, who is that person who can be a great friend to me? Say, oh, let me be a Timothy to someone else. And God will start working through you. You'll be surprised. So often we're looking, you know, I'll, I'll be that super Christian. I'll be that super awesome person. If somebody's, just, no, 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 you, it starts with you. In the time of Jesus, uh, being a servant there's another word they, they used to, it was quite similarly exchanged, okay? It's very similar to being a disciple. You know, in, in, in Asia, they say guru shishya, okay? It's the, 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 uh, the person who's, you've seen um, Karate Kid? Wax on, wax off, you know, it's like that, that kind of relationship. You understand what I'm saying? You listen to your master, the master and the servant, 
that's how Paul and Timothy were. And uh, in those days, it was so people wanted to imitate their master so much. If the master walked like this, guess what? All the, the, the disciples, all the servants behind them, guess what they'll do? I'm serious. That's what they used to do. They would say, oh, they would all be walking, trying to imitate literally every... I am not joking. It was amazing. People were expected. that They didn't go to school. They learned from their master at carpentry, at fishing, whatever trade it was, by being a good servant, a disciple. Are you a good servant? In, uh, uh, you know, when Paul is telling Timothy and says, hey, you know, when he first met him, he says, hey, I want you to come with me on my missionary journey. Okay? You know what he had to do when he first met Timothy? Sorry, guys. Snip, snip. Circumcision. He had to circumcise Timothy. You know that? Can you imagine Timothy saying, wait a second, Paul, you're teaching all about grace. You're saved by grace. Okay, Jew, as a Jew, I have to be, you know, circumcised, but I'm not a Jew. My father is Greek, so I'm not circumcised. But, you know, if I'm becoming a Jew, I can understand. But I'm a Christian. I don't have to be circumcised. And Paul would have said, yeah, you're right. You don't have to be. But if you're coming with me on my travels, because I'm going to be meeting a lot of Jews, you have to be circumcised. And Timothy went, okay, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, it would have been painful. He said, whatever, he was a humble servant. He could have made a lot of excuses. Well, you know, that's not how it's taught in the Bible, and so I don't have to. But he said, if you want me to be circumcised, I will do it. Timothy did it. God wants to cut away at your heart. It will be painful. Do you give your heart to God? Really? Or when it pains, you go, oh, sorry, God, and I, I can't handle this anymore. This Christianity thing, you know. That's when it really matters. That's when the surgery, you know, you come out, on the other side, great. But during the surgery, it will be painful. Don't give up. For some of us, we're sitting here, we're hurting in different areas. We're trying to work through it. Don't, do not give up. You want to do great things for the Lord, do not give up. Become that better servant, that better imitator that you know Paul was expecting Timothy to be. We are most satisfied when God is glorified. Just remember that. Not when we are satisfied. No, no, no. We are satisfied when we are satisfied. No, no. When God is glorified. When we think about glorifying God, He will start working through us. We're thinking about our inner pleasures. It doesn't work that way. I'm going to show you one more video clip.
and we'll be ending soon. Oh, just one more video clip, the second one. And uh, they're about to, in the, in the video, they're about to go into battle. They're pretty serious. Okay, and the, the lieutenant, he has to count the cost. Mel Gibson, he has to count the cost. He has to tell them as it is what is going to happen. And he says, you are going to go into the valley of the shadow of death. But look at his attitude. Look at what he promises. Please play that. Look around you. In the 7th Cavalry, we got a captain from the Ukraine. Another from Puerto Rico. We've got Japanese, Chinese, Blacks, Hispanics, Cherokee Indians, Jews and Gentiles, all Americans. Now here in the States, some men in this unit may experience discrimination because of race or creed. But for you and me now, all that is gone. We're moving into the valley of the shadow of death, where you will watch the back of the man next to you as he will watch yours. And you won't care what color he is or by what name he calls God. They say we're leaving home. We're going to what home was always supposed to be. So let us understand the situation. We are going into battle against a tough and determined enemy. I can't promise you that I will bring you all home alive. But this I swear, before you and before Almighty God, that when we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field and I'll be the last to step off and I will leave no one behind. Dead or alive, we will all come home together. So help me God. Brothers and sisters, it is a battlefield out there. Satan doesn't want you to think so. We hear of the crimes. We hear of our children being affected with violence, with crime. And sometimes we kind of numb ourselves. But I have to tell you as it is, you know, as you heard, When we step out there, you have to rely on God. You have to pray. You have to pray before. You have to pray in the middle. And you have to pray afterwards. You have to pray and trust in Jesus. God is your source of comfort and your strength. There's a lot of things happening out there. But you know, God is king. 
above all of these things. Amen? He really is. Like I said, there are more Christians alive today than ever in history. The world doesn't want you to think that. You know, the fastest growing church in the world, do you know where it is? Iran. Do you know where the second fastest growing church in the world is? No, China used to be. Afghanistan. Can you believe it? See, we don't hear of all these great things that God is doing around the world. He is. And out there, God's doing great things. We just have to step out. So often we say, oh, I can't, or I can't, you know, whatever you want to pronounce it. You know, we say, C-A-N, take out the T. Substitute it with a cross. And it becomes, I can, through the power of God. Just a little change in your life. The I can't becomes I can through Jesus. You can do it. You know, I've moved to a new part of, uh, of London called Mitcham, Pollard's Hill. I don't know if you know it. You know, I've moved there recently, well, just over a year ago. And um, as I'm there, I'm working in London City Mission, and, I, and I'm like, Lord, uh, what do you want me to do here? And, and I can tell you stories of many different places um, that I've been traveling as a missionary and doing different things. But as I'm in Mitcham, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do here? And as I noticed, many of my neighbors, they're Hindus, Muslims, people don't know anything about Jesus. So I, I decided after work, I'm going to go door knocking. I'm going to go just listen to people's, you know, uh, just their hurts, their pains. And you know, the last one year, I've met Personally, I've met more than 100, 150 people that I know now. Many of them have come to my house. They started asking me questions about Jesus. Just in my neighborhood. After work, some of you, some of you say, well, you're not full-time. Actually, I am. We're all full-time in the Lord, believe it or not. Whether you're at work, whether it's after work, when you're at home, you are full-time in the Lord. You can do it. And you know, more than a, I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? The harvest is ripe. Who are the workers? Sitting right here. Right here. So as I close up, I just want to tell you this. You know, Paul was in prison. He was faith. He was... He wanted a faithful person, stepped up Timothy, an imitator. That was the second point. Timothy was the best servant imitator, the best disciple. You know that Timothy was the one who co-authored with Paul the book of 2 Corinthians, book of Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Philemon. Did you know that? Timothy. It was an educated young man. So he helped Paul write. Paul even says that. So often we say Paul wrote most of the... Actually, Timothy helped him write most of these things as he was sitting in prison, shackled. God used a servant, a young kid, to do awesome things. 
not talked about much. Timothy was in prison, as I said. You know, uh, in AD 97, the 80-year-old Bishop Timothy of Macedonia, he was a bishop. Macedonia, big region, right? He's the bishop. He tried to, to halt a procession in honor of the goddess Diana by preaching the gospel. The angry pagans, they beat him, dragged him through the streets, and stoned him to death. Timothy became a martyr. But you know the amazing things we do that, that he did? We don't hear about it much. Isn't that amazing? And I encourage you today to be faithful and to be a great imitator, as Paul talked about. Amen? Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you all. Thank you. God bless you. Can I just say a quick prayer for us all? You know, um, I want to pray and thank Marina as well. She's just walked out of the... I know she's going through a lot. I want to pray for the church to be the ecclesia in this part, a light on a hilltop. So let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much. We may be seeing that the cup is half empty, but Lord, you see so much more in us. You see that you can work through us, in us, with us, to do great things for your kingdom. So I pray that you be with Rob and Ephraim and their families, their spouses and, and Lord and their children. Please take care of them. Please be with the elders and please be with those who serve in this church. Anoint them, bless them through the Holy Spirit so that your name may be glorified. Yes, Lord, I know it is a challenge out there, but Lord, through you, that walk in that valley of death can be ever more totally joyful if we just focus on you. So I pray that you come into our lives and our hearts and be with us today and for the rest of the week and bless us so that through us, you will help the rest of the world to see what it means to be Christ-like. We ask of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.